My name is Kevin Guido. I am the online pastor for Fresh Life Church, also leading our campus in Jackson Hole. And I love, love, love that I get to crack open this word with y'all today and, um, and study this truth. And um, I get the honor of being able to wrap up a series that we've been in for the last few weeks, the last month, called Canary in a Coal Mine. And you might be thinking that's kind of an interesting title for a series of talks in church, and you would be right, but here's the deal. So miners, when they would go down into mine shafts, they would bring canaries with them. And if the canary was singing, then all was good, everything's fine. But if the canary stopped singing, then it was, there was a warning of some potentially lurking danger, and it might be time to get out of Dodge. And so what we've done over the last month is we've been looking at the canaries in our lives that could be warning us to something that could possibly be off. And if this, is your, if this is your first time here, if, you've, if this is the first weekend that you're jumping in, man, we're stoked that you're here. We're glad that you made it. Um, it's going to be fun. But I would implore you, please jump onto our website, freshlife.church, or go onto our YouTube and check out the previous messages in this series because Pastor Levi has straight preached some of the most like life-altering, course-changing messages, at least for me personally, and I have no doubt that you would be encouraged in a huge way. If you get on your computer at work and you're like, man, I only have time to bite off one of these messages, then I would encourage you to listen to the first one in the series, which is the danger of living without dreams. That message, did anybody else hear that? You guys remember that's incredible message. So I would definitely implore you to go do that because it's incredible. Well, I'm sure it's been said in, in uh, many times for me up here in this place, anytime that I've taught, or if you know me, you know something about me. I love, I love, love downhill mountain biking. I love it, okay? This is not the far, flat, and fast, and spandex with a cute little aerodynamic helmet. No, this is the, this is the full face helmet, right? This is the body armor. This is raging down the side of a mountain as, as fast as you're willing to go. And, um, and uh, it's, it's one of those things that, man, I just absolutely love it. My, my family and I, we live at the base of Teton Pass. Teton Pass is the steepest drivable mountain pass in the United States of America. And if you grab your bike and you hitchhike up to the top of the pass, you have before you 3.5 miles and 2,300 vertical feet of descent on some of the most aggressive, mind-blowing, incredible trails that you could ever imagine. And so, as is the case for me, at least I tried to do several times a week, I told my wife uh, one evening that I wanted to go for a ride. Hey, I'm going to go do a pass lap. And she's like, well, well, who are you going with? I said, like, well, nobody. But there's always people up there, so I'll be fine. No, don't need to worry about that. And, and she looks outside, and she's like, babe, it's, it's too late. Like, it's, it's not bright enough for you to go. And I look outside, and I'm like, man, there's tons of light. I, I have enough light to do one top-down lap, no problem. And so going against the strong encouragement of my wife, I grab my bike, right, and I head up to the top of the pass. And when I get to the top of the pass, there is nobody in sight. There is nobody up there. And the sun, it's already crested the mountains. And, and at this point, I could have turned around and gone back home. But no, no. Tonight, we ride, right? And so I put my helmet on, I strap it, I pull my gloves down, right? And I, and I drop into the trail and I start pedaling. And fortunately for you, I was wearing a chest cam, right? And just GoPro, start recording. And, um, and, and this is 30 seconds 
into that trail. Now, I'm going to warn you, this footage is a little bit shaky. So if you get motion sick, maybe just kind of listen to what's going on. But check out this video. Man, got me. Okay, so as you can probably tell, it got a little dark. It got a little dark. You know, I looked at the horizon. I was like, there's tons of light on the horizon. Man, but when you get in that tree, in those trees, that, that sun disappears real quick. And I was riding real quick. And I went real quick into a hole where a rock was, went over my handlebars, shattered my full face helmet, and broke a rib. So the encouraging thing is I had about 2,000 more vertical feet that I had to descend before I went limping defeated into my home. Y'all, there's a proverb. There's a proverb. Chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Also known as your wife. Y'all, this is, this is the canary that stops singing when you start secluding. This is the canary, uh, this is the warning that goes off when you begin isolating yourself and you stop listening. And we're going to unpack this in a message that I am calling today, I am alone. Red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17, and, and I think it's important for me to provide some context, right, because context is everything when we're studying the Bible, and, um, and while you're turning there, um, here's the deal. There's a guy named Ahab, right, and Ahab just became the king over Israel, and, um, and this dude was wicked, man. He was a crooked guy, and and the Bible says that he actually did more evil in the eyes of God than all of the previous kings that were before him. So a little bit of evil? No, a lot of evil, right? And, and, and it broke God's heart and it made him angry. Why? Because, because Ahab was a king who brought the worship of Baal into Israel. Now, if you go to, to, to Jeremiah 19.5, you don't have to turn there, but Jeremiah 19.5 talks about what that Baal worship is like. That Baal worship, man, sex was king. Uh, uh, shedding innocent blood was normal. Self-mutilation was celebrated. Even child sacrifice for offerings was normal, right? It, it doesn't take much for us to recognize evil, right? I could spout out a, a handful of words, and, and we would all unanimously agree that, yes, these things are evil. If I were to say Satan, right, we would all nod our heads, yes, evil. If I were to say Hitler, right, we would all, and not in agreement, yes, evil. If I were to say cilantro, right, that stuff is terrible. It tastes like soap. It's so bad. Cats, of course, they're evil, right? We recognize this. Ahab, he was an evil dude. It was, it, he was a crooked king, and he broke the heart of God. And not only that, but he drove him to anger. So what does God do? Well, God, he sends his man. Who's that? This is Elijah. It's the best of the best. If you're in 1 Kings 17, it starts off in verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, 
There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So God, he sends his emissary, right? He sends Elisha. Now, I, I have two children. I have my son, Zachary. He's 14, and my daughter, Addison, is 12. And it was so fun when they were little to just watch their interactions. And uh, my son, Zachary, he would typically ask my wife if, if he can either have something or do something to which he would normally get a no. But through the powers of observation, he realized that if my daughter asked for something, that there was a yes that was likely on the horizon. And so rather than ever asking for anything ever again, he just started to send out this diplomat on his behalf, right? And I don't know if it was her big, beautiful eyes or her tiny, cute, little, innocent voice, but there was just something about it, right? So he sent out his, God sent out, he sent out a diplomat, right? He sends out his emissary. This is Elijah calling out the king. And what does he say? He says, no rain, no rain until I say it happens. And then God, what, he, what, what happens? What, what does that mean? No rain. That means, that, means, that means devastation. That means difficulty. That means drought, right? The world is about to hurt because of the decisions that Ahab has made. And so uh, then God tells, tells Elijah that he wants him to go set up camp, right? He's like, hey, there's this brook. It's east of the Jordan. I want you to go hang out there. And it says this. If you skip down to verse 6, it says, and the ravens, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So he sets up camp, right? The whole world is experiencing this difficulty, but, but this guy, he, Elijah, he's living in a van down by the river, right? And, and literally the birds are catering his meals to him until the brook dries up, right? Because in the drought, eventually the brook dries up and God tells Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into town. There's this lady, she's a widow and her son and they're gonna take care of you. So he goes into town and he, he meets the lady and she's like, hey, cool. So um, here's the thing, we have some plans. I'm gonna make a, a meal using whatever I have left because it's the last of what we have and my son and I are gonna eat and then we're gonna die and that's kind of what we're gonna do. And Elijah's like, cool, cool, cool. So before you do that, could you make me a cake? And then you can go ahead and do what you need to do with that, which just seems obnoxious except for the fact that he added in. But whatever you draw, whatever you draw, the jars that have the, the flour and the honey, they will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she believed him. She makes his cake. She makes their meal, and they continue to live no problem, right? They have everything that they need. Until one day, her son dies, right? This is a widow. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. She's freaking out. She's raging on Elijah. She's like, why would you bring this? I didn't ask for this. This is not what I asked for. Why would you come into my life? Why would you do these things, right? And so Elijah grabs his, her son and takes him up into his room, lays him on his bed. He lays on top of him and he says, God, just please bring this boy's life back into him. And God breathes life back into the boy. He brings him downstairs. And, and it's, the Bible says at that point, she realized this was the man of God, right? And so then they continued to live there until three years had passed from the moment that, that Elijah made that first declaration to Ahab. And so then um, God tells Elijah, I want you to go talk to King Ahab. It's time. We need, we need to have a conversation with that guy. So Ahab, um, he had a guy in his life, his name was Obadiah. Now, Obadiah, this dude is the best. He was made the head of household in, in, in King Ahab's world. And Obadiah, he was a person who loved God 
and he feared God, but he did a really dang good job um, at what he did, and he was promoted to the head of household. And so I just want, I want to just pause here for a second and acknowledge the fact, that acknowledge the impact that you can have if you would just honor God and do a really dang good job for his glory uh, where you're at, no matter what the circumstances are, right? Obadiah, he's serving God in less than ideal circumstances, and yet look at the way that God was able to use him. And so I would ask you this question, where has God put you, right? Are you just phoning in your job? Are you just doing the bare minimum amount of work so you don't bring attention to yourself so you can collect your paycheck and, and just go on with the rest of your life? Or are you leaning into what God has laid out before you? You could literally be where you are in your work, in your school, in your family, in your community to be a beacon in the dark night, right? That, that, that cannot be ignored. I, I love this encouragement that, that Paul issues to the Philippian church. And in chapter 2, verse 14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That word can also be complaining, right? So do all things without grumbling or complaining that you would be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. That was Obadiah, right? And, and that could be you right where you are. If you would just lean in, if you, right in the middle of your difficulty and your frustration, lean in, burn bright, and just watch as God works little miracles through regular old you. Okay? So this guy, Obadiah, right, he, he loved God. He feared God. Um, and that was great. And if you thought Ahab was bad, his wife Jezebel was even worse, right? You could say that Ahab was the way that he was because of his wife Jezebel. She hated God so much that she actually started rounding up all the prophets of Israel, right, and killing them. And so Obadiah, he had to do something about this. And what Obadiah did, he ends up going out, he sneaks a hundred of the prophets of God, right? He sneaks a hundred of them away, he divides them into two camps of 50, and he, and he, and he, he hides them in some caves, and then he takes the responsibility upon himself to make sure that they have water and that they have bread and that they are safe, right? Obadiah, literally the best dude ever. And, and so, um, you know, we're in the middle of this drought. Ahab looks at Obadiah one day. They realize, man, we don't have enough food for our cattle, for our horses, for our flocks. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide and conquer. We're going to scour the land and look for anything that we can. And, and they divide up. And while Obadiah is out looking for these things, he runs into your boy, Elijah. And so Obadiah sees Elijah. He's like, my Lord, is it you? Is, is it Elijah? And he's like, it's me. And he's like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. This is awesome. I'm so pumped. And, and Elijah tells him, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find King Ahab and tell him that I'm here. And uh, Obadiah has a low-key freakout moment. He's like, what, are you kidding me? Are you, do you understand what we've been doing? We've, we've looked everywhere for you, right? We've made oaths with kingdoms. Boy, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low. We've been looking for you, boy, right? He's, he, they've gone everywhere. And he's like, if I, if I leave here, the spirit of God will take you to who knows where. And then I'll go to Ahab. I'll tell him you're here. And when we come back, you won't be here. He's going to kill me. He's like, surely you've heard, right? I, I took a hundred of God's prophets and I hid them in caves to keep them safe. Man, if this comes out, that's it. Like, I, I'm done for and Elijah's like, bro, chill. Just go grab him, come back, and I will be here. And so he comes back, 
And after three years, Ahab and Elijah have a conversation. If you, if you um, go to uh, chapter 18, verse 17, it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel. You have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. You followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so this is epic. This is amazing. This is a moment where Elijah basically draws a line in the sand, right? He draws a line in the sand. He says, look, y'all, if Baal is God, then serve him. But if the Lord is God, then you all need to turn your hearts back to him. And, and he's like, here's how we're going to settle this. We're going to both build altars. We're going to put a bull on the altars. And we're, whosoever, whoever's God consumes the sacrifice with fire is the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal are like, game on, let's go. And so they go and they set up their altar and they put their, their, their bull on there and they just start doing their thing, right? They start dancing around the altar and, hey, Baal, come do your stuff so that we can get on with our life. And, and there's no answer. And they continue to keep going. There's no answer to the point where Elijah starts making fun of them, right? And he's like, hey, maybe, maybe he's busy. I know, I mean, he it's, it's probably has a lot on his mind. And, and, uh, and, and then it says that they got to the point where they were like literally limping around. Like they're just devastated and no strength left, limping around. They're all, then it says that they started cutting themselves, right? They started mutilating themselves as was their custom. And, and the Bible says that blood was gushing out everywhere. And finally, Elijah's like, man, I'm done with this. And he calls all of Israel together, and he rebuilds the altar that was tore down, and, and he establishes the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He puts the wood up. He puts the bull on. He digs a trench around the whole thing, right? And then he just douses it all with water. He's just heaping water on top of this thing, so much so that the, tr the trench fills up, and then he gets down on his knees, and he says, God, would you please show your people your power? And what does God do? He delivers he delivers in a glorious rig. Fire coming down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, licks up all the water. Then everybody in Israel falls to their faces and they say, truly, the Lord is God. And so, and so then Elijah gathers all the prophets of Baal. He destroys them. He looks over at Ahab and he's like, hey, bro, you need to go get some drink and some, and some food because rain is coming. And so then he goes with his servant up to the top of the mountain, right? And, and Elijah, he kneels down on his face and he tells his servant, hey, look out and see if there's any signs of a storm coming. And so his, his servant looks seven times on the seventh time. He looks out and he's like, I see clouds forming that look like a hand. And so he tells his servant, okay, go let Ahab know, boy, you better strap up your chariot and start heading home. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in the mud. And so he does that, right? Ahab starts moving in his chariot. And then Elijah engages in a little bit of a foot race. This is the best. I love the Bible so much. Um, it says in 1 Kings 18, verse 45, And a little while after the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Y'all, we have here the first documented recording of Naruto running in the Bible, right? <laughs> uh, you, 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 you imagine like Ahab, 
and, and he's on his chariot and he's heading home. And then all of a sudden, like, he looks up and he just sees, like, <laughs> right? There's Ahab, uh, or there's Elijah. He's, he's booking it. The hand of the Lord is upon him. Tucked up his shorts and he just started running. And he was probably pumped. I mean, imagine, imagine how incredible this moment is, right? This incredible victory that they've just experienced where Elijah, you know, has just destroyed the enemy in Israel. And so he makes it, he makes it home. He makes it home. But so does Ahab, right? And what does Ahab do? He, the first thing he does, he tells Jezebel about everything that Elijah had done. And to say that, that she was less than delighted would be a gross understatement, right? She ends up issuing a decree. And she says, surely by this time tomorrow, Elijah will suffer the same fate as the prophets of Baal. And it's kind of devastating, right? You have what Elijah had anticipated being his celebration, right? Like a, like a military hero coming home from war and, and walking through the streets and everybody like, yes, we did it. The Lord is the true God. But what was his reaction? 1 Kings 19, verse 3, it says, Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. What was, what was Elijah's reaction? I, I, think it, I think this gif kind of gift kind of sums up what he ended up doing in that moment. Do we, yep, yep. It's that, yep, he's just going to kind of creep back, and then boom, he's gone, right? And I don't think, I don't think what what made the canary stop singing in Elijah's situation was the fact that he was running, okay? Yes, the wanted signs are posted all around town. I think, I think what, where the warning started kicking in was not that he was running, but what he was running to. Now, in the early 90s, the Bose Acoustic Company was blowing up. They, had, they were coming out with relentless innovations on top of innovations, and, and one of the things that they came up with was the wave radio. You guys remember the wave radio, right? This little tiny thing that you put on your counter. It's a clock radio, but it sounded like a full-on concert, like happening on your countertop, right? And then they came out with Acoustamast. You're able to deliver digital 5.1 surround sound to your living room, right? That was something that was exclusive to the movie theaters, but now you can sit in the comfort of your home, these little satellite speakers and this, and this, this uh, subwoofer. But the, the innovation that really turned the world upside down was when they came out with these guys, the Bose Quiet Comfort headphones. Now nobody had ever seen anything like this. These these guys were in a world all their own um, because they ended up using a technology that Bose called noise cancellation. Right? Noise cancellation. Sorry, I'm screaming my mic. Noise cancellation. Right? And uh, and it was incredible. Nobody had ever seen anything like this. And I remember the first time I put one of these on. You put it on, there's a little switch on the side, and, and you flip that switch, and it's incredible because everything that you don't want to hear just kind of disappears into this vacuum. It goes away. I mean, it's, it feels otherworldly. It's crazy. It feels like, there's, like it's sucking on my head. It's, it's wild. And, and so you had these, these headphones 
that now, like if you were on an airplane with 200 people and that baby's crying and that dog's barking and, and, and this elbow's touching this person right here and this elbow's touching this person over here, you could put these headphones on and then you would just disappear. You would be isolated from everybody and everything. And it was remarkable. And the technology behind it wasn't all that innovative. I mean, yes, Bose had been refining it for 50 years, uh, but basically at its core, what, what the, the headphones do, they have these microphones on the outside, and the microphones listen to everything that you don't want to hear, and then what it does is it sends the opposite of that into your ears. So think about this. Audio travels in waveforms, right? If we have a plus waveform and you combine it with a negative waveform, what do you get? Zero. Nothing. Zilch. Nada, right? That now you get isolation, right? You become separated from everything around you. I, 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 don't think, I don't think that Elijah running was what was wrong. It's what he was running from. What was he running from? He was, he was running away from everything that he needed to hear. He was running away from, from all the things that he didn't want to hear, right? What was the verse that we started off with? Proverbs 18.1, it says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So what was it that Elisha wanted? What was his desire? Man, his desire was to bail, to get away from everybody, right? He Step one into isolation. Man, he goes from Israel to Judah, right? Step two in isolation. He ends up abandoning his homeboy in Beersheba. He's like, hey, bro, love you. I'll see you later. Just kidding. I won't, right? And he leaves. And then step three into isolation, he just goes into the wilderness. And the whole time, allowing the opposite of what he needs to hear into his mind, these lies that just keep compounding in his mind. He separated himself physically from people. He separated himself emotionally from his friend. He separated himself intellectually when he allowed the opposite of what he needed to hear into his mind through these lies. And, and what was the end result? Well, how, how did it end up? He, he ends up in the wilderness by himself and... His desire is to give up. His desire, throw in the towel. His desire is to die. God, just kill me. Let me ask you this question. What are you listening to right now? What might you be allowing into your heart and into your mind that's the opposite of what you need to hear, right? That you're a failure, that you're not good enough, and that you never really will be that nobody cares about you, that you're the only one who feels this way, that you don't even make a difference, or, or are those just my thoughts, right? Here's the thing. God's word, it speaks a better promise into your life. God's word says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you've been chosen, that you've been made royal, that you are a holy nation, that you're incredibly special to God, a person that he has called out of darkness and into his glorious light. This is the word that God speaks over you. God's word, it speaks a better promise. But sometimes that promise is really hard to hear when you're here being fed all the opposite of that. And Elijah knows what that feels like. And so here he is at the lowest of the low. And, uh, and, and he goes to sleep. And the Bible talks about how he woke up several times, right? It says that the angel of the Lord woke him up pokes him, right? Hey, Elijah, wake up. 
I made a cake for you, right? And, and the angel of the Lord gives him. Who's the angel of the Lord? It's Jesus, okay? Jesus wakes him up. He has, hands him a cake. And he says, eat this cake because there's a journey. It's going to be too great for you. And so he wakes up and he falls asleep and he wakes up and he falls asleep. He eats this food and then he goes, travels for 40 days to a cave that God told him to go to. And then when he gets into this cave, God asks him a question. What does he say? He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah responds in 1 Kings 19, verse 5, it says, and he, oh, no, sorry. Um, in 1 Kings 9, 14, it says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. In other words, I am alone. But he wasn't, was he? That's just what he led himself to believe in this moment. That's, that's what this isolation had created in his life, right? Obadiah straight told him to his face. He's like, bro, I've hidden a hundred prophets of God. They're in caves. They're safe. They have food and they have water, right? If, if Elijah was going to run anywhere, he should have run to those caves, right? Because they would have been like, bro, that was crazy. You're amazing. This is, look at what God has done, right? They would have celebrated that. But instead, what did he do? No, he, he left. He, he abandoned his servant, right? And, and God even tells him later on, man, I have separated 9,000 others who have not bent the knee to Baal, right? He wasn't alone. He just had believed it. And I love so much what God's reaction was in this moment. Uh, it, what God ends up doing, he doesn't just condemn him, right? Instead, he gives him a new assignment. He's like, here's the deal, bro. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to the people, okay? It's time to get back on the saddle. You still got some riding to do, right? I need you to go back to the people, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to find this guy, and I want you to anoint him the king over Syria. And we need to get rid of this Ahab dude. And so what, what I want you to do is I want you to anoint this guy to be the king over Israel. And then since you ditched homeboy in Beersheba, what I want you to do is I want you to go find this guy, Elisha. And he's going to be your right-hand man. And he's going to actually take over your job when, when you're done. And so he gives him a new assignment, right? And what I love so much, what I love so much about the story of Elijah is the fact that God didn't even honor Elijah's wishes when he was at his lowest. What was that? Just let me die. Elijah was one of two people recorded in the Bible who actually never even experienced death. In the same way that, that Elisha had called down fire from heaven, right? I wish we had time to go through all the other things that God could continue to do because this wasn't the first time that he did this. He actually calls down fire from heaven two other times later on, right? And so in the same way that he called down fire from heaven, God took him up into heaven through fire in this amazing display of his power. And so we get to the end of this teaching and we ask ourselves, what next? What do we do, right? If, if I put these headphones on and they have the ability to feed into my ear the opposite of all the things that I want to hear and isolate me from everything that I need, then maybe what we should do is begin to amplify the things that we do need to hear. So it's pretty amazing. This wasn't in the first ones, but in these ones, there's a little button on the back of this thing. And if you click that button, it goes from isolation mode into awareness mode. And what they actually do is they begin to amplify everything around you 
that you need to hear. And, 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 and all the things that, that would have separated you from, now it's, it's lifting those things up. So what's the opposite of isolation? What's the opposite of isolation? It's community. It's connection. It's involvement. It's engagement, right? I love this verse. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 10 that I think sums this, sums this up in a beautiful way. In verse 23 it says, let us, not let me, not let you, but let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us, let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Y'all, if, if we're gonna, if we are going to, have an impact as a people, if we're going to lean into the wisdom that God has for us, then we need to amplify the voices of the people that are in our lives through our community. And this verse, I love it, right? How do we do that? Well, one, we hold fast. That's what we're going to do. We, as the church, we're going to hold fast. And, and there's strength. There's strength in us holding to what we believe together, right? I love that term, hold fast. It makes me think of like, you know, a ship of sailors that's battling this crazy tempest, right? And the captain cries out, hold fast the sails. And, and all the sailors, they run and they, they grab the ropes of the sails and they're holding on, right? If I did it by myself, we wouldn't survive. But if we're all doing it together, now we're holding on to the sails. Man, there's an incredible strength that we have when we are together. We're able to amplify our strength as a community when we hold fast, right? Second thing, we get creative. I love this. I love the, the concept, the idea of, of people pushing each other to love, of creatively thinking of ways that you could uh, encourage somebody, love somebody, do selfless acts of kindness, right? It makes me think of our, our outreach team here at Fresh Life, right? These are the people that stay up late at night trying to think of ways to do this very thing, right? And, and they put together events like Rock the City, and next month we're doing the Merry Market, right? Anybody excited about Merry Market? That's going to be incredible, right? And, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're getting creative and figuring out ways to stir each other in love, selfless acts of kindness, right? Together, we are able to amplify the impact that we have as a church. Third, we cultivate community, right? The, the church, it's not a destination. It's not a building that you go to, right? The church, it is a people. It is us. It's, it's you and me together. And, and, and together, we're able to, um, I mean, we're able to, to find a strength in our community. Uh, isolation, man, it is real. I don't know if we've ever encountered greater bouts of isolation than we have in the last two years, where, where people have told you that uh, you need to stay home. And you need to wear a mask and, and you need to close down the places where you gather. Man, all the more reason why we should be fighting for community. And for, for all, everybody who, who is at our gatherings, if you're here in a campus, in a location, or if, if you're at a watch party in somebody's home, or if you're joining church online, right, you are fighting for that community. And so, it's such a beautiful thing. But how do you cultivate that? How do you cultivate that community? Well, you do that in smaller groups, right? We got Fresh Life groups. Uh, yes, you can connect. I love so much for our online, uh, the people, uh, our church that watches online, participates online, so many of them in the chat, right? They all know each other. Why? Because they're in groups together, 
And we're in a season where it doesn't matter if you can physically get together. If you have an LTE signal in a cave somewhere, man, you can be a part of a Fresh Life group. Like, you can do that, right? There's no excuse for, for not fostering that sense of community. And when we do that, we amplify the connection that we have with each other. And finally, what was the last thing that that verse said? It says, um, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We speak life. We encourage each other. I mean, I, 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 what would it be like to be a community that's marked by reckless generosity in the things that we say? The things that we say to people and even the things that we say about people. To be generous with our words, to be generous uh, with the way that we encourage, the way that we lift up, the way that we inspire those around us. It's a beautiful thing. And what happens is when we do that, we amplify our resolve as the people of God to continue to do what he wants to do. Isolation, man, it just leads to your own desire. Right? It, it, it separates you from wisdom, but man, when you lean into that community, when you amplify the voices that you need to hear, God can move in an incredible way. Jesus gave us three things, right? He gave us his word, and he gave us the spirit as an advocate who's always there for us, encouraging us on our behalf. And he also gave us the church so that we would never be alone. Let's pray. God, you are just, you're too good. And it's amazing just, just to think the fact that you love us so desperately. That you want us to be close to you. That you care about the things that we care about and you care about our hearts. Thank you for Elijah and the example that he is to us. Thank you for the grace that you showed him. It's, it's, it's encouraging for me to recognize the fact that Elijah was a man just like me. He was a normal person with normal struggles, and yet you did not give up on him. Elijah gave up on himself, but you did not give up on him. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you've not given up on us. And so I pray that we would lean in to the community that you've planted us in. And, and, and if we haven't embraced that, God, I pray that we would, that we would jump in, that we would find family, that we would find encouragement, that we would find life in your church. And I pray that you would do this for your glory. And if you're here this morning and you've never really been a part of this community, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, then I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. You see, when, when Elijah was at his lowest, who showed up? It was Jesus. Jesus showed up at his lowest. So when you feel like the whole world has abandoned you, when even your best friends and your family have walked away, Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In fact, he has a new mission for you, something new that he wants to do in and through you. And he says, all you have to do is believe, right? What did, what did the widow do when she realized that Elijah was who he said he was? And she believed that he was the man of God, right? Jesus, in the same way, Jesus has said that he is the, he is the one and only beloved son of God, that he is the one who has paved the way, that he is the gate, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you believe in him, then you'll be saved. And, and it's as simple as just praying a prayer. 
And it's not like a magical set of words. It's more of just an attitude of your heart, a position, almost kind of bending your knee and just saying, God, I've tried everything that I can, but now I'm putting my life into your hands. And I pray that you would do what the kind of things that you did through Elijah and me. So if you want to do that, then I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And, and, our, and the church is going to back you up in that, okay? We're all going to pray this together. But if that's your heart, then would you just pray this? God, I give you my life. I've done everything that I can, and it hasn't worked. So I trust my life in your hands. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. I give my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.